We started setting all these things and he said, okay, well, set those in stone now. Set the cooking yeah. classes up. Get a mentor to come every Friday to teach you. Go swimming with your kids every Thursday afternoon. And so we, we actually started establishing all the goals I was trying to work towards and we just started them. We started, you know, serving refugees at Christmas. We started, you know, Thursday swim afternoons. And what it did is it lit me up as the asset. And so when those 12 hours came that I did work, everything happened faster. Everything was clearer. Everything was more passionate. Everything was more aligned because I was lit up, right? Because, yeah. because I just finished my greatest baking show, baking whatever, you know, that I was in yeah, such yeah. a good space. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't. And we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repton. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. With me today is Sarah Allred. Sarah, it's exciting to have you here. I just want to tell the audience a little bit about you. The thing that pops out right away is that Sarah's clients, most of Sarah's clients, only work 12 hours a week, which is a, is a good thing to start with. You know, she has one of the top 30 business podcasts on Apple. She's a disruptive force in the world of marketing, but she's also a delightful force in the world of marketing and created her company, Victress Marketing, which I love, which Thank sounds you. powerful and strong and feminine. And so I love that. So welcome, Sarah, to the show. I'm so thrilled to be here, Hirsch, and you Thank are sort you. of a new friend of mine. And yes. so there is nothing cooler than like meeting a new friend and being like, we should have been old friends, but we will take what we can get. That's uh, right. I think we're on some similar trajectories on what we're trying to bring to the world. So happy to be here. That's funny. That's very true, Sarah. Thank you. And it took a while and you're very busy and I appreciate you making the time to do this. And also... Let's lead off with this 12-hour-a-week phenomenon. I don't want to oversell it. I don't know how big a part of your world and program it is, but I do know that, that time and valuing your time and valuing your life is central to what you do. So fill us in. Oh, I love that question so much. And is it a pivotal part of my life? Yes. It's something that has been central to my life early on as a mother. I am a mother of four, ranging from four years old. Her birthday was literally yesterday, oh, all the wow. way to age 13. I've got a dog. I've got a, a husband that is a physician. And so we have been through the entire medical school journey and residency journey and all those things. And so time has never, quote unquote, been on my side. I was never that entrepreneur that could spend spend 80 hour work weeks to, to build an empire. And yet I had a drive. I really had a drive transitioning. I used to be a band director, right? So all band nerds unite right now. Oh, I was wow, a band okay. director before I became a mom. And I learned really early on a couple of things. Number one, that I struggled when I was working a ton and making nothing. And that was hard for me to admit. 
But that was the reality of my teaching experience. I was passionate about it. I was good at it. Marching band was my life for when I was a wee lass growing up. And it turned into an experience that was very disjointing for me to recognize that when I would get that paycheck at the end of the month that I just was so resentful. I felt resentful and it wasn't working for me. And so I I got a little bit of an out. I got pregnant with my first baby and I said, hey, this is my ticket out to explore something new. And I became a mom and I, that 13 year old, that 13 year old girl now is one of my dearest friends and one of the most extraordinary girls you would ever meet. And transitioning to motherhood was really hard for me. I had moved from a world of being like top of my class in music education and working with judges and adjudicators and getting scores and awards and opportunities and parades and Macy's Day Parade and all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden I was holding this new baby, beautiful baby girl, and I didn't know what to do. There wasn't this filling of where I'm headed. Is that making sense, Hirsch? Yeah, because you were used to dealing with an entire band and here you just had the drum essentially. (laughs) You're just sitting there with one instrument in front of you and you're like, okay, that puts a lot of importance on a single instrument, you know? You know, it really does. I felt very lost and without going into a lot of details, that was really sort of the pivot point on what can I pursue? What can I do to fill my soul and gain a skill and feel like I'm contributing? And I, I grew up with a mother that was an author and wrote books while we were at school. And like, so I saw the impact that a mother had that had her thing and was doing book signings on the weekends. Like I saw how that positively impacted me. And so I went on my own journey to find it. And I think the beautiful thing that I hope to bring to the table for any of your listeners that may feel like time is not on their side, whether they've got a nine to five and they're trying to transition to something that is more passion driven or freedom driven, or if they are women and they've got kids or they're a swim coach, whatever it is, that if time doesn't feel on their side, I would shout it from the rooftops that the fact that time on is not on your side is your great greatest asset. Mm. It is absolutely your greatest asset. And so fast forward, once I had three babies and one on the way, I committed to 12 hours a week. And that was because that's how long I could stay awake after all my babies were in bed to build a business. And not to say I'm marvelous, but man, in a year and a half, we hit six figures. Right. Wow. And this was not with startup money. We were poor as church mice. We were in the middle of residency and, you know, was literally making bread from scratch because I couldn't afford it. And in that year and a half, that 12 weeks really, really gave me the opportunity to say, who do I want to serve? How can I provide value and how can I do it as fast as possible? And so I have no regrets. It's been my greatest tool, Hirsch. Well, Sarah, you've also you almost by default zeroed in on what do I do best because I might as well do what I do best because I have to do it fast. So I don't have time to become a whole bunch of things that I'm not, which a lot of us spend time doing things, trying to find ourselves, or we realize where we can do something. And then someone says, can you do this? And someone says, can you do that? And you just keep doing a bunch of different things because You know, when I was starting out, there wasn't, I think the entrepreneurship angle was not what people were trying to do, Mm -hmm. uh, by and large. Mm -hmm. People were looking to fit into a company or a process or something that already, corporate, something that already existed. And I didn't, 
I never felt comfortable in the corporate world. So what that meant was I had to be in smaller companies or eventually start my own companies, which is great in a way. But, you know, I think you have to you have to have guidance. There have to be people out there who help you, which brings us to you. And you decided your audience would be women who are starting businesses. Yeah, that's really where Victra started. And I love that you feel like it's powerful and feminine. That was like the whole goal of the brand. So bravo that we got the <laughs> applause from Hirsch, the expert of branding. <laughs> yeah, It really centered there because that's who I was. I was that mom, I was that woman who did not go to business school, who had never worked in corporate America. I had a band degree for crying out loud. And, and I was trying to use the online space because COVID hadn't happened and not everybody was working from home. I was trying right. to use the online space to make my mark. And so those are the people that I was most, I resonated the most with and that I felt like I could help the most because that's kind of where I had sat. And the, the cool part of what Victor's Global has really grown into is we actually have a lot of male clients now because we specialize in helping male CEOs resonate with women oh. in a more powerful way. And so it's just transformed into working with so many women. My whole goal is to get them to six figures in 12 hours a week, right? That's our whole goal at first. And now we're able to expand and grow to help these male CEOs better resonate with how they market to these amazing women who are powerhouses online and are doing the majority of the shopping. So it's been a journey and I never would have thought I'd be sitting here. This is crazy. Yeah. There are two great things that you just hit on. One is the idea of men learning how to make their their business appeal to an audience of women and connect with that audience. So we definitely have to talk about that. And then the other part of the getting women to six figures at 12 hours yeah. a week. So yeah. part of it is you're busting perception, right? The perception of 40 hours a week you know, as though people have really worked, you know, 40 hours a week could, could be a fantasy for someone who's working 80 hours a week for a 40 Absolutely. hour a week job, you know, yes. so, so talk a little bit about the myths and perceptions around time. Oh, I love that. And and if I can put a plug in, a really unexpected plug sure. in for a friend of mine, Richie Norton has a new book out called Anti-Time Management. And I he is a dear friend and someone who has mentored me along the way. And I feel really grateful I had access to his approach to time very early on before his book ever came out. And so like grab it on Amazon or I'll gift it, whatever the heck you want to do. But anti-time management is the whole idea that you as the entrepreneur, you as the CEO, that you are your greatest asset. And so stop working towards goals, work from them. And so when Richie okay. originally sat with me, he was like, I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like, you know, like explain what that looks like in my life. And, and so we started to establish this and he discovered that like, I really, really had a desire to learn how to cook like British break baking show kind of cooking Hirsch, okay. right? That I re that really lit me up and that, you know, the 12 hour work week was a huge part of that. And the, the flexibility, my husband gets 10, 10 weeks off a year to travel all 10 weeks that we are out and to, you know, we started setting all these things and he said, okay, well, set those in stone now. Set the cooking yeah. classes up. Get a mentor to come every Friday to teach you. Go swimming with your kids every Thursday afternoon. And so we actually started establishing all the goals I was trying to work towards and we just started them. 
We started, you know, serving refugees at Christmas. We started, you know, Thursday swim afternoons. And what it did is it lit me up as the asset. And so when those 12 hours came that I did work, everything happened faster. Everything was clearer. Everything was more passionate. Everything was more aligned because I was lit up, right? Because I just finished my greatest baking show, baking whatever, <laughs> you know, that I was in yeah, such yeah. a good space. That is totally relatable for me. I, you know, I am a creative person yes. who works in business and Yes, I try to combine creativity into the business, but it's those things that are fulfilling that, you know, when I was doing, there was a time where I was doing mostly PR and that could be kind mm. of dry. That could be a little bit of a dry pursuit. But when I would be really excited about a creative project that could be paid or not, I could be writing on spec, I could be writing a screenplay, I could be shooting something. I would so come cool. to the press release all excited about telling that story and the press release as a result would be really unusual, which is what I became known for, telling stories via press releases where, you know, they have more life and vibrance than you would expect or than people think is necessary. Although there's no rule that says press releases have to be boring. So, but it was the idea that I was doing that creative thing and then because I had done my work and gotten my work done and was getting paid and was doing that side of things, then when I sat down to do the creative stuff, I would be able to relax because everything wasn't in chaos. So I've always seen the benefits of one to the other. And, you know, when women come to you, what do you hear most often these days? Because times change and we've come out of a really tough time. What do yeah. you what do you hear these days about the workplace, about the work, you know, the availability and environment and attitudes? Oh, I love that question so much. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. And oh, so wow. it got my okay. brain going a little bit. Way to bring it, Hirsch. And instinctively when I meet with these women and we start to build their first six figure idea, there are really two very prevailing fears. Number one is I am too late that my industry okay. is too full. And so they're trying to step into a world of life coaching or of being an author or something like that. And they feel behind. They feel like there's already a thousand other people leaning into me. And second is this expectation, which is spoiler alert, false, that they have to be everywhere all the time and that their business needs to like operate like a six-figure business starting today, right? And yeah. it's just not the case. Like, Hirsch, to build a six-figure business, you need like seven great people as clients. Seven. And we can grow it with that, right? That's how mine grew. That's how so many of our six-figure victresses have built their stuff is, can I serve at the highest level seven people? And if that is the case, then then you can, you can hit the, the ground running with just yeah. seven people. It's not thousands, right? Yeah, but seven clients would be a lot of people if you have a small business. I mean, it, right. you know, so what is, how does that... Give me an example of a business. Oh, this is so how good. You might, yeah. This is so good. So one of the things that we teach at Victor's Global when it comes, and we work with these amazing male CEOs, is we talk about the bus stop conversations between women. 
right? And so we talk about that women are naturally your greatest referrals, right? That they talk about the things that they are blown away by, right? We all want to know what kind of shampoo everybody's using or what kind of earrings they're wearing or what kind of preschool you're sending your kid to. We talk at the bus stop. That's what we do. And so that's how we provide this analogy to these incredible male CEOs that are wanting to invite women in. And we talk about if you can get one woman to feel loyal, if you can just take such good care of her, VIP style, that she's loyal to you, that she believes in you, that she is receiving actual results from you, you've now hit 10 more. Because she's going to talk about it. And she's going to post about it very, very naturally. And it doesn't have to turn into this formality of like, will you be an affiliate for me? And here's your affiliate code. And here's your affiliate link. And here's our push period. No, 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 no. She's going to post it in the Facebook group. And she's going to talk about it at a book club. She's going to sit by somebody at the pew at church. And she's going to talk about her coaching with you. And and that is the goal is our first goal with our six-figure clients is for them to get their first seven fans. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, and it's it's so not like what guys do. You know, I find right. that guys at the bus stop are much more reserved. I, I'm not sure why. It's harder to like, you, everybody's nice, but you don't really like bond immediately. People are more guarded. I just think guys are more guarded. I'm more like that person that would just refer, refer, refer all the time. And when I get into the world of the affiliates and all that, I get, feel a little out of place because it seems mm. so formal. You know, It does feel a, so formal. I have a friend named Steve Ramona who is now synonymous to me with the auto referral. Like if he loves you, he will not be able to stop talking about you. And he'll, he'll post your, your episodes on his LinkedIn and he'll just say, hey, if you need so a this, cool. call this person or that person. So he has that automated warmth engine that works that way. But in general, I find that there's more of a formality to business that I wasn't, you know, I, I have two older sisters. I grew yeah. up around, you know, my dad and I always felt like we were way outnumbered, even though there were th- three women to the two of us, but we felt like we were just outnumbered, you know? <laughs> and uh, and so I, you know, I don't know. And my grandmother was over the house all the time. It's just, I always felt like this kind of casual feeling mm-hmm. that may, would that I expected might carry over into business, but with business... It's always more formal. And, oh. you know, so what do you teach these, these male CEOs? We teach them many things. The best part is my, act, my team. If we go and do like a one-on-one consultation with them, we fly in, me and a teammate, and we observe the front end part of their business. Where are they getting lead generation and what is their, kind of their lower ticket, you know, first, first result for their clients kind of offer. And that's where we specialize. That's where we start. And okay. we go through an audit. It's a two-day experience. We go in there and we do an audit with them and we look for where the gaps are. We look for the things, we specifically look for the things that are repelling women from enjoying their brand, seeing their brand, resonating with their brand. And we kind of put it through the shredder and start to rework some of the ways in which they increase lead generation. And so I love that you bring up the word, like, I want to steal your word, Hirsch. I'm going to steal it. When you talk <laughs> about the, the formality side of business does not work for women yeah it does not work 
the whole like affiliate link and here's a code and all this kind of stuff, you share that with them and they most likely stop talking about you because they don't know how to post and say, do this and I'm getting a kickback. Most women feel hugely uncomfortable with that. They would so much rather just feel loved, VIP'd, white glove treatment from your company, and they will take it to the races. The formality yeah. of it is such a huge part of what we do at Victor's Global to try and strip that down to just be a human to the most powerful consumer on earth, which are women, right? Right, right. And that's really the experience that we put them through is we just look at so many different, I mean, do you want me to dive into like an example? I can give you an example of something we yeah. put through the shredder to get some results for these CEOs. Yeah, sure, sure. This is a fascinating thing. By the way, we can come up with a term, formality is, I'm glad that you appreciated that word. We yeah. can come up with a term that actually applies to the anti, you know, the, the anti-formality or the unformality you know, deformality it. of of <laughs> deformalizing the process is yes. a kind of a, what Will we you just we, see if the domain's available. Anti formality, that's, right. that's my favorite. <laughs> that's right. Which one? Anti formality. Anti formality. Yeah, I but love it. okay. Well, anyway, I I don't want to digress too much. Go ahead. Give me the example of of the tearing apart of that. Yeah, and so I I think it's really important that that I start this with a caveat, and that is the fact that this is not meant to be a anti-man or a political thing or a religious thing or anything when we start talking about like the gender differences in marketing, that this is just a discussion on marketing, right? And and what we've found. And so this is not meant to say that these CEOs are, are dumb. No, they are hugely successful. They are just trying to better leverage the consumer that's buying 80% of stuff online. Legit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 80% of online purchases are made by women. So when we look at this, we went into this company and they actually deal with investing. They, they like to teach entrepreneurs how to save on taxes and how to invest properly and how to start real estate. That's kind of what their jam is. They're like a $17 million a year business, a legitimate business and led by three incredible men, dads. They are men of men who have faith backgrounds, just such incredible CEOs. So they brought me in and we started looking looking at things and one of the beautiful and small yet significant adjustments that we were able to make was in their introductory webinar. So they do a webinar to teach entrepreneurs how to save on taxes. That's what it is. Very attractive kind of webinar thing. And it's an evergreen webinar. They do it live. They do it in a variety of settings. So I'm watching it and they're talking about how this specific strategy, and I'm not going to give it away because I don't want to say who the company is, but they use this specific strategy very, very first that they guarantee everybody in the room, if they implement it, will save them five figures in taxes for the coming year. Okay. And it's true. They've done it for me. Okay. So I know that it's true. And then immediately on the next slide, they say, do you know how safe this is? And how like really successful people are using this. People like Jeff Bezos, people like Oprah Winfrey, people like Jay-Z, people like Warren Warren Buffett, okay, and Bill Gates. And so they're giving all of these people that these people are doing this and you haven't heard about it. And so come jump on board. And then they dive into kind of the sales process of how you can learn it. And my gut just absolutely sank. And I said, this is it. This is why like 2% of women that are watching your thing are even making it to the end because all of them are dropping off at this point. And do you have a guess, Hirsch, why that's happening? As to why? Yeah. Why Uh, why doesn't that work for women? I'm going to totally put you on the spot. 
Okay. Well, well, there's, yeah, there's a couple reasons. Well, they're not all men. All the examples you gave were not all men because you, you mentioned Oprah. So it wasn't that they Correct. were all men. Correct. Uh, it was that they were all people of such wealth that the women couldn't relate to them. Yes. We call it the, pro- <laughs> the proximity chasm. That's what we call it. Okay. Yes. Yes. So those women, and we use the word but, which all my kids love, right? We use the word yeah. but to say, she loves what you're talking about as far as saving her, you know, five figures in taxes, but, but what, right? But what? Right, well, right. Oprah's got an entire team. Okay. Well, right. Jeff is a jerk and, and divorced his wife or like, I mean, there are so right. many, you wouldn't believe the panel of women that were like, I don't want to be like Jeff. Are you kidding me? And like all these feelings of unrelatability. And well, so they're we, also, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go. I want to hear it. Let's hear They're it. also highly scrutinized individuals. So if you pick people who are the epitome of success, whether they're angels or not, they're going to be scrutinized. You know, if you go a little lower, like if they use this as an example, this is just an example, Kristen Bell, let's say, they yes. pick an actress that's extremely well-known and popular, but so super grounded that everybody can, you know, if you said these are people who, who do, you know, Dax Shepard and Kristen Bell's, you know, accounting, you would just feel like that's good. That's just like aspirational. Family. Yeah, it's aspirational, but it's like family. So, you, you know, they chose the biggest examples they could, you know, they could find. Plus, everybody feels like Jeff Bezos should pay taxes. Jeff Bezos right. should be paying taxes. Why should? <laughs> so this is the same crap that he gets away with, but I'm going to do it to save $10,000 and he's saving, you know, a billion dollars. It's like, it doesn't seem, doesn't seem right. Isn't that I fascinating? Guess. And, yeah. and Hirsch in the world, I mean, you are a marketer, right? You are a brander, you are a messenger, all of those things that you go and look around the internet. And I'm not going to name names, not here to throw anybody under the bus. But when you come to a website, and it promises you this result, or it gives you this example or this testimonial of this person that was able to, you know, in seven days, lost 74 pounds, and it saved her marriage, right? Like, let's, I'm going to make that up. Okay. Yeah. It's a real sexy result. And you know what? They actually probably did it. They probably like accomplished that thing in seven days, but is it the norm? Is it the norm for that company? No, because there's all that legal garbage in the bottom. Results vary. So we teach our male CEOs that they should lead their messaging with the typical result. Oh. Nice. If someone finishes your program and accomplishes this thing, like what are they going to accomplish? Well, most of them will lose four pounds over four weeks. Awesome. That's what we're going to lead with. Because what happens is while it actually doesn't increase the first sale of the program to lose the four pounds, guess what she does? She talks. She tells, tells other people. There She's you go. She's at the bus stop and then she buys from you again because she knows she's going to lose the next date. There yeah. is this loyalty that is constantly happening. And I think so often women get a bad rap that we're like grudge holders. We're also loyalty guardians. That's what we are. Like you provide something for us. We are with you for life. And we'll talk about you too. Naturally. Yeah. That's it's the hardest thing a for cool a brand aspect. to, that's the hardest thing for a brand to secure is loyalty. They Amen. try all these, is disparity between what 
how women treat loyalty programs or rewards programs or view those things versus how men do? Well, they certainly are the bigger users of them. Like the Chick-fil-A app is a great example of like how you can hit certain standards of those things. And so women way more heavily use those. That's why they have to carry purses and larger key rings and all of those kinds of things for stores around the neighborhood. But women are much more involved in those programs of earning status and growth and deals as they grow within a brand than men are. Okay. Yeah, that's important to to distinguish because – the the and we know this that given what we do but it's yes. but a lot of the listeners are not you know a lot of the, the listeners are obviously coming from all walks of life they're yes. just trying to survive and thrive in today's world it's crazy <laughs> out there Solidarity. it's not it could be about anything right it could be about family it could be about kids education mental health business job hunting any mm. of this stuff entrepreneurship any of it yeah but the thing that that is so resonant is that it's not transactional. A uh, loyalty or a rewards account is is not meant to be transactional. It's meant to feel personal. It's meant to feel like like a special thing that you're getting, you're giving and getting, and you're and you're sharing and you're growing and all those nice things. Whereas another way to look at it, and in a way a guy might look at it, is they're gaming the system. Right, I'm gaming. The system, like Adam Sandler and Punch Drunk Love, where he where he he sees a flaw in the pudding <laughs> the pudding promotion and realizes <laughs> he can he can get all this all this free pudding or a free trip with, with by buying a certain number of puddings, whatever it was. But it's like it's that gaming that gaming mentality, not the oh I really love how you treat me mentality. And of course, you know the like you said it's not across the board it's not necessarily a gender but mm-hmm. there's differences i mean that's what our job is to understand you know people so let's let's shift for one second to you know the mood in the world and the struggles in the world mm-hmm. and you know away apart from business apart mm-hmm. from business when people are trying you know obviously they're striving in business but the emotional piece is a heavy one. So do you, are, uh, both with men and women, are you confronting a lot of people with, you know, the, uh, in addition to trying to start their business and trying to thrive, they're weighted down by, you know, some of the heaviness that's out in the world, whether it's a pandemic or, un, or unemployment that had hit, you know, them during a certain time, whatever. Yeah, and and this really hits home for me because I I am a third child out of four daughters, right? And I am dear friends with all all three of my sisters, two older, one younger, and and as a kid, I I just was kind of different, right? I just was kind of different in the family, and I started to reach for the same accomplishments as my two older sisters. I I tried to get religious promotions that they had gone after. I tried to get the same jobs that they had gotten. I tried to like do theater like they had gotten. And what's really fascinating is those were all things in which I was rejected from in those moments that I was not in let into that religious promotion or I didn't get that job. And so I carried this story for so long that gosh, I'm just meant to be left out, right? Anybody ever felt that, that like, 
I'm just destined to not have things work or to not be included. And and if I'm alone in that, okay, fine. But I just know somebody sitting here that has said, I've just always felt like kind of the weirdo, the one that is always left out. And I started to track that story, not knowing it was a story all through my high school, my college, my early marriage years. And I, man, did I soak in all of those evidences of how Sarah is just always left out right? Always yeah. left out. And the way that I've been able to phrase it is I, you know, I've done a, done a lot of work on that. I've worked with coaches and God and all of those amazing forces in my life to try and really turn that story around. It's really helped me understand oddly, the, the life of an entrepreneur, that we often feel like the exception to the rule. And it's a lot because of a lot of crappy marketing messages out there. Sorry for my language, right? terrible marketing messages out there that are dishonest, that are take your money and run, that are deceitful, all those things often leave both clients and entrepreneurs and clients that could be loyal to you with a really nasty taste in their mouth that I just must be stupid. I just, I must be annoying to people online. I must, you know, I'm the one person this hasn't worked for, right? And, and so when I meet with these people, these amazing male CEOs even who are killing it, in $30 million a year businesses, they feel this same way. They feel like they're the one that can't do that one thing and that they're the exception to all the other successes out there that they can't reach. And it doesn't change when you hit a million. It doesn't right, change when you right. hit 10 million. It just doesn't change. And so I, I, I hope that I can continue to sit in that space of compassion when I sit with these women in particular, who are the entrepreneurs we start with, because they feel like the exception to the rule. Sarah, that's so cool that you've helped hundreds and hundreds of women build six-figure businesses, but my husband works insane hours. But... I have a foster kid at home, but I'm far from family and can't get a babysitter, but my industry is too crowded. And I know that we've talked about the butts in marketing, but these yeah. are like the butts in people's ability to move. You that's, know? that's what I was getting. That's a beautiful answer yeah. because that, that is what I was, what I, without re even realizing it, that is what I was getting at, which is that the, yeah. there are butts in business and there are butts in life and there are yeah. butts in, and sometimes one keep you know mo usually the life stuff keeps us sometimes frozen because we're so anxious or we're so Paralyzed. frustrated yeah. with men sometimes with the male ceos that sense of you know being an outsider is what possibly drove them to succeed and sometimes that's not healthy because then their competitive spirit is really in a way a little twisted and displaced and then you know, at the same time, it's that it's so common to feel the outsider. I don't know if there is an insider. I don't even know if there is an insider. Uh, if you look at groups of people, at clusters of people, and you analyze what they're doing and what role they play, there may be a central figure there, but that doesn't mean that that person feels included either. So to me, I think... But but it's very hard to say to someone, everybody feels like an outsider, because that isn't not how it looks. And it doesn't and, solve it. And it doesn't solve the problem. You're right. It doesn't solve the problem because you're not building what you want to build regardless. If you're building what you want to build, it doesn't matter whether people think you're an outsider or an insider or this, that. It doesn't matter. You know, but it's how do you break through that 
self-perception, it's the same thing as imposter syndrome. It's the same thing where, you know, I, I feel that even more than the outsider thing. The outsider thing is I don't like to be, I don't like to walk into a place and be alone and have to, you know, introduce myself. Like sure. that's, that's sure. a challenge. That's we why we all I, have a desire to be known, right? Yeah. yeah you know, it's that. easier to be on stage if you're a comedian. It's easier to get up on stage and, and face the audience cold and be literally like blinded by the lights than it is to walk into a room full of those same people and say, hi, I'm Hirsch. What's your name? Like that's, that's scarier to me and harder to me than getting on stage. So everybody has their barometer, their measure of what's of what's intimidating, what's challenging. But to get to that point where you can break through it and you can you can go and and pursue your your dream is a total it's just a journey that I think people get stuck on quite uh, quite frequently. This is such an important conversation. This is such an important conversation, and and I love what you bring to the table. I'm like, when when this launches, you need to quote yourself as saying, "I don't I don't know if there are any insiders," because <laughs> I mean that's that's total fact to accept that. And I think that it really circles back to the very first thing that we talked about. Is I felt like an inside an an outsider when my husband was working 100 hours a week in which I was trying to raise 3.5 babies and, and felt called and, and desperately needed something in my life. And I also needed to make like 10 bucks a week doing it to pay the bills, you know? Yeah. And my, and I felt like the exception there because I was like, I'm really happy for your success. I'm so glad that your husband's home. Like, your thing's not going to work for me, right? And I'm so glad that you're having this success because you have a team and you have $25,000 to start up your business. And I'm like making cream of chicken scoop from scratch over here, you know? Yeah. Like it was this kind of feeling. And the reality is I feel really grateful I had a mentor at that time that really took me to task and, and said that your mess is your opportunity. If you don't have time, do it in very little time. And that has become the platform for what we have built. That's a and great so, a great line too to say like a great kind of credo, you know. Yeah. If if I don't have time, I'm going to do it in less time. Is a, Amen. is a, is a great and it's not everybody's problem, but no. it's but but it certainly is a big piece of it and I think there's so much guilt layered over how we how we spend time. I know that for both my wife and myself and our personalities are very different, but we we both are very diligent and, and hardworking, and we deal with it different ways, but there's a mm. certain, I don't know if it's our generation or what, but there's a certain way that we seize on to work commitments that, you know, precludes our feeling okay with, you know, downtime most of the time. Yes. Like just on a daily basis. Yes. I can't imagine how I would do, I can't imagine 12 hours a week. I mean, 12 hours a week how do you okay well you know there's so much that i want to talk to you about i actually hope you'll come on the yes brand podcast and we can talk oh. about work we can talk about like the it. business image thing but since we're on work now if let's say okay so if i go from a 12 hour work day to and if it's my own business, it's up to me. Nobody's making me do it. I don't have to do it. I'm doing it because I'm compelled to do it. What would be a step toward toward reducing that to a 12-hour <laughs> work week? What would be a like a thing 
you leverage your spiritual gifts. Boom. Okay. okay, we brought God into the conversation. Okay, if you don't believe in God, it's okay. But what I mean is, what is the thing you are diehard amazing at that doesn't have to be scripted, that doesn't, like, I am really, really good off the cuff live. Yeah. That's my spiritual gift. So I'm not going to sit there and write an ebook, and I'm not going to sit there and blog, and I'm not going to sit there and put together reels nonstop, right? I am going to do webinars every single Wednesday for an hour and a half for a year. Oh, I love that. I love that. Where like 8% of my business comes from. I love that. I mean, I do feel like books, you know, but I get it. I think in a way, you know, there's a lot of people out there. I'm writing a book now, but I'm a writer. You know, it's like, you're a writer. It's, it's not, it's funny that I didn't, hadn't written a book till now, but I hadn't have the, the inspiration to do it for whatever yeah. reason. I wrote in many other mediums, but, but the thing of the book is I'm seeing so many people out there who are like, well, okay, so you need to find a good, not to me, but to others, they'll say, well, you need to find a good ghostwriter for your, for your book. And then mm. the book is so important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I cannot imagine, and, I'm, and again, you know, it could be a great book. I haven't read them, so I'm not saying they're not good. I just right. feel like, according to what you're saying, that process is not going to streamline the client's work week, right? Yes, they're hiring a ghostwriter, so they're maybe not, but they're still engaged in a book. And there's probably something right. about, about the experience that they know deep down like this is not exactly right. <laughs> this and is like it. harder, and it's and it's this thing that they're doing to try to get it done, as opposed to if their thing is webinars or coaching or whatever it might be, and they go, look, just get me in front of a, just get me in front of people and get me in in the one to many kind of setup, and just sure. get me out there, and I'll just go. And that'll be joyful to me. I'll have a good time and people will love it and people will feel it. The book as tool, you know, as like a I have to have a book thing is, I just think, you know, not that like that's how I work. That's how I talk to people. I would be like, look, I, I don't know anything to tell you but the truth. I can't I can't tell you like. Okay, you want to write? Okay, let's do a book. That's what everybody says to do. <laughs> do oh, okay. Book. Yes, and that's exactly what you said. You said that's what everybody says to do, right? Right. So right. I want to introduce a hero of mine. He has no idea who I am. If you know him, get me in the same room with him. Brendan Picard, I love. Okay. I love him so much. I think his books are mar marvelous. And he changed my life when he was speaking a couple of years ago. And I was in the room and the energy there was insane. I don't know yeah. if you've ever seen him enter a stage, okay? I and, haven't seen him in person, but I know but I know of him and I've seen okay. him in the video. And, and his yeah. like entrance song is my wake up song. Like okay. I'm like remembering that energy there. And he's probably spoke for two hours and I remember really one concept from the entire thing. Okay. Took a million notes, remember one concept. And he said you don't, you're not selling what you think you're selling. And as a marketer, I'm like, oh, I know I'm not selling a baby product. I'm selling a result or I'm selling, like, I mean, I'm like, I right, sell a result. Right. I know, or I'm selling an identity or something like that. No, no, no. He said, all of you in this room are selling aliveness. That wow, is the yeah. only thing that's, that is selling is aliveness. And it just, 
took all the air out of me because I started to think about what are the efforts that I am making to be more alive and here and like literally 30 minutes before you and I started, I was playing go fish behind my backdrop with my four-year-old, right? <laughs> and I felt alive in that moment. I wasn't like worried about showing up with you. I wasn't like stressed, whatever. Like I'm in my yoga pants, like all is well, you know, but it, <laughs> it's this beautiful experience and, and I'm not perfect at it, but that word. Well, go fish is a hard brain. game. Go fish I is a difficult regularly. Yeah. So you shouldn't be expected to be good at it, but but go ahead. It, it's true. No, it just is such a beautiful expression to say, Hirsch, are you alive when you are writing your book? If you are, go. Right? Yeah. When I get on a webinar, there's no greater space for me. Or when I get on stage, and you're that same way. There's no greater space for me than walking on a stage. Okay? For me to sit down and type out a paragraph for a book. Uh uh-uh. uh, it's not happening. I'm the yeah. higher the ghostwriter kind of person, right? And so I'm not knocking a ghostwriter. I'm not knocking a writer. What I'm saying is, is to the first pivot that has to happen to invite you to a world of a 12 hour work week is to leverage you and your gifts. Okay. Yeah. Don't look at the deficits and, and say, who's going to teach me the deficits? Like, leverage the things that you are insanely alive at. And yeah. start there. And start to your there. to your point, there are talkers and there are writers. So if a CEO of a company sits down with a writer and talks and and like you know there are people yes. who have these very very tight schedules, but they'll talk for two hours. They'll you, you get in their office and they're like, yeah, tell them I'll I'll do it tomorrow. You know, yes. and they'll talk for two hours and then the writer can go write the book. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking 100%. about that feeling that the person has that this isn't really me or it's not really my medium or it's not really, you know, cause we've all done that. I've taken jobs, you know, in the past when I was younger, where I felt like, Oh, this is, you know, this job. And I just won't do that anymore for, you know, the time element and the, and that spiritual element that you talk about of bringing your real gift. You know, you can call it the genius zone. You can call it your superpower. You can call it whatever, whatever you want. Right. But it's an innate thing that needs nourishment, needs to be nurtured, but it doesn't, it doesn't really need effort to make it work. It can always get better. Right. You know? But it doesn't, right. it doesn't require work to make it, to make it work. You know, and you know what's beautiful, what I mean. Hirsch, about that experience of – of, of writing the book or of going on the stage or of doing the webinar or of what, you know, posting that stuff online that you're writing, whatever it is, is sometimes it's funny because you're actually doing something that you have chosen to do instead of what you're supposed to do. Right. And yeah. we get really locked into this idea that this is what a business is supposed to look like, or that we go after what, like my first three years of business, like a copy and paste strategy. Like, right. here's what this person does. I'm going to copy and paste it in my own way here. And guess what? It doesn't work. Why? Because it's not yours. You're not alive in it. And you're copying and pasting somebody, right? And so if you get into a business and like one of my great mentors, Russell Brunson, is the master of funnels and is incredible and I love him and he's changed my life more than probably yes. any other marketer. And I don't do like four or five OTOs on the end of my offers, one-time offers. I don't do it, yeah. okay? Feels a little funky to me. Doesn't work with my women. And right. I can trust myself in that process. I don't hate on him in that process. He's changed my life, 
right? And yeah. so if you can build trust within yourself to say, I'm going to start a podcast, guess what? You don't have to do it like Hirsch does it, okay? Yeah. Understand the principles of podcasting, figure out how to get it online, and share aliveness. And when something feels like it could be elevated, do it. When something doesn't feel right to you, stop. And learn to, to develop that inner trust, and you will be unstoppable. That's awesome. That aliveness thing is profound. Right. Because it's another word for whatever that magical thing is that happens when you're doing that thing. And it's like, it's it just... You know, actors would call it magic, you know, like screen magic or chemistry, right? And yeah. there's, and, and I learned a long time ago that there's professional chemistry, you know, that is outside of show business. Sure. I did a lot of stuff in show business for so long, you start to think that those things are limited to that. They're really not. There's professional chemistry that Ooh, feels exactly that. the same as the chemistry that actors have or an actor and director have. You know, oh. that's a good term, professional chemistry. Okay. I'm writing it down. No, I'm not. I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago. It was very funny. And he's a, a big kind of business person and a serial entrepreneur. And he was like, we came up with, I came up with a name he should have named his company based on what he was telling me. And he's like, we're both itching to look for the URL. And I'm like, well, this isn't live, so nobody's hearing this. There's no real rush, and it's no just rush. a matter of whether you get it or I get it. <laughs> you know. See, Hirsch, yeah. I'm like, you're you're clearly really good at extracting the result and the messaging. Like, you've got a gift that way. Thank and I'm you. like, how are we going to create a way for people to have office hours with you where they can just say, "What am I supposed to call this?" And you go, 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 go. I mean, yeah, there are things that are that, going in my brain on how to leverage you. <laughs> Well, Sarah, thank you, Sarah. Well, you're right, though, because those things, the way that a person works are the things that should dictate that. And there is a system to build around it. It's not the other way right. around. I'm fascinated by what you do. And I love having you on the show. And I'm so glad we connected. This is truly delightful. And Sarah, if you would, to you've actually shared more a wealth of thoughts. But if you have thank anything you. you want to share or anything you want to leave the audience with today, you know, I'm going to give you the last word. Amazing. It's been an absolute honor to be with you. I feel like we're like family in a really great Likewise. way, really trying to, to bring some quality here to the marketing world and to life. My message is an invitation to get uncomfortable, to get uncomfortable in saying no to the masters, no to the geniuses, and inviting in your own inner voice. And it really won't take you to destructive places. You've got miracles ahead of you. The world is the greatest time, is in the greatest time ever to be pursuing a passion, pursuing a business, pursuing a job, pursuing a change, pursuing growth, pursuing aliveness, and go, go after it. And if I can be of any assistance in any way, find me. And I would love to encourage you to take those steps to get uncomfortable and make the magic happen. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.